The following message is brought to you by New Song Church and Pastor Joshua Blunt in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information on New Song, visit us online at newsongpeople.com. You guys are awesome. Third service is awake this morning. You're ready to dig into the word, right? Jesus in the flesh, week three. Let's do this. It's going to be good. But before we get into the message, I want to just let you know about something that you're definitely going to want to get in on, and that is our small groups interest night. It's coming up, and I think about two weeks, all the details are in your app or new song notes. But if you are not in a small group and you're interested in being one, or maybe you have been at New Song for a while and you're ready to host a group and you're interested in how to take that next step, then this night is for you. Or maybe you're just like, you don't even know what a small group is, but you it sounds interesting to you, then come to this night. It's gonna be great. Find out the vision, the heart behind groups. And let me just tell you from experience how amazing that groups are. Josh and I, we joined our first ever new song group four years ago when we started the church. And we didn't know the people in the group very well at all. Uh, But four years later, they are some of our closest friends. It didn't happen overnight. You know, groups take time, relationships. You've got to build these relationships, consistent, positive interactions with these people, studying the word together. And now they are some of our best friends. We actually just moved into the neighborhood of one of the people in our small group. That's how much we love them. Uh, We vacation together. We send our kids on vacation with their kids. It's just a really cool thing that happened all because we chose to do life together in a group. So if you're interested, you wanna find out more, come check it out. It's gonna be a really great night. All right, go ahead and get out your Bible. Turn to Matthew chapter four. And uh, we are in Jesus in the flesh. Week three, Pastor Josh taught week one about Jesus, the man of compassion. Last week we looked at Jesus, the man of sorrows. And today we're gonna be talking about Jesus, the man of temptation. Now the idea behind this series is that we would take a closer look at the humanity of Jesus. Jesus was both fully God and fully human. I think sometimes we read through the gospels and it's so easy to look at Jesus as fully God because he is walking on water and he is multiplying the loaves and the fishes and he is raising people from the dead and he is healing the sick and so we see God. But oftentimes we miss the humanity of Jesus in scripture. We forget that Jesus was a person, that he had a personality. I love this quote about the humanity of Jesus I read this week. It says, as a man, Jesus was subject to the needs, limitations, and frailties of a human being in this world. He had a body with nerve endings like ours, emotions that tore him like ours do, and that is what it means for him to have been fully human. Okay, let this sink in this morning. Jesus got hangnails. Jesus needed naps. He had to use the restroom. Jesus, who was there at the foundations of the world when that was being formed, he had to be taught a trade of carpentry. And when he was learning that trade and he hit his thumb with a hammer, that thumb throbbed and he experienced pain. Jesus got annoyed with people because he was human. He was fully human. We see this with the disciples. He got annoyed with those guys all the time. Jesus cracked up at stuff. He thought things were funny. He smiled. He was fully human. He spent nine months in utero. 
He teethed as an infant. He lost teeth as an elementary student. He got bad breath from time to time. Why? Why would the creator choose to put on skin and walk among his created? Look at this in Hebrews 2 verse 14. It says, because, here's why, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood. The son also became flesh and blood for only as a human being could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Therefore, it was necessary, everybody say necessary, necessary, for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he's able to help us when we are being tested. Last week, Josh said, uh, he said, if you ever question the love that God has for you, just look to the cross. And I wanna take that a step further. We just read that in order for the cross to be effective, that Jesus had to agree to become human, which means that Jesus had to agree to go through puberty. That is love. That is how much Jesus loves you. He agreed, he willingly took on his voice changing acne, body odor, armpit hair, all the things that come with puberty. He did that because he knew that he had to become fully human for us. That's how much he loves us. Verse 18, let's look at it again. Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he's able to help us when we're being tested. And that's what we're gonna talk about today. We're gonna talk about the temptation of Jesus, the trials and temptation of Jesus. And we're gonna look at how he who was like us in every respect, how he dealt with these temptations so that we can pass these tests and we can overcome these temptations. So turn with me to Matthew four, if you're not there yet, Matthew chapter four. If you don't have your Bibles, don't worry. The scriptures are on the screen for you to follow along with me this morning. We're gonna start in verse one. It says, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. Okay, let's stop right here for a second. Now, at first glance, this doesn't seem right. Like that the Holy Spirit would lead Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Kind of seems like a jerk move, if you ask me. Because the same Holy Spirit, just moments before, is ascending on Jesus. And there's a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And now the same Spirit is leading Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan himself. Is this a misprint? No, it's not. And it really wasn't a jerk move either. Because the Holy Spirit understood that what Jesus was about to go through over the next 40 days, that it was a very, very necessary part of his ministry. That if he didn't go through these trials and temptations, then he couldn't fully relate to you and to me. So when the Holy Spirit is leading Jesus into the wilderness, it's an act of love. He's leading him there and they're both thinking of us. They're thinking of you and me and every temptation that we would ever face and thinking we gotta do this so we can show them how to overcome temptation. Now it's important for you to note that the Holy Spirit will not tempt you. The Holy Spirit's not in that business. James 1.13 
says, let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God for temptation does not originate from God, but from our own flaws. Now look at this next part. This is so interesting. It says, for God cannot be tempted by what is evil and he himself tempts no one. Okay, so this verse says that God cannot be tempted and yet we're about to talk about how God was tempted. So how do we reconcile this? Well, here's the thing. God as God can't be tempted, but Jesus who was God and also fully man could be tempted. So this temptation that happens in the wilderness, this is Jesus in the flesh. This is the fully human side of Jesus dealing with temptation because the fully God side of him can't be tempted. That factors out of this whole scenario, okay? So this is Jesus in the flesh. Verse two, for 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and became very hungry. During that time, the devil came and said to him, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. The first temptation that we're gonna talk about, temptation number one of three, it has to do with doubting our identity and satisfying non-sinful human needs through sinful means. Doubting our identity and satisfying non-sinful human needs through sinful means. Okay, so Jesus, fully human Jesus, he's been in the wilderness for 40 days, 40 nights fasting. And because he's fully human, he is fully hungry. And uh, theologians actually believe that he is on the, the brink of starvation here. And I don't know about you, but when I am hungry, not even fully hungry, but just a little bit hungry, I don't always make the best decisions. I am in a weakened frame of mind, always on Sunday. I don't know why, when I leave here on Sundays, I am so hungry that I cannot think straight. Even though like I snack and I eat Lara bars, whatever they're called, and I'm eating that stuff back in the back, but I'm still so hungry. So when I leave here, like a salad doesn't sound good. I want a burger, I want french fries, I want chips, I want queso, I want carbs. That's what I'm craving, right? Or, or you ever go to the grocery store when you're hungry? Doesn't end well, right? You spend more money than you should have spent and you buy things you shouldn't have bought. So here Jesus is, he's experiencing a hunger like you and I have never experienced before in our lives. And he's being tempted by Satan. If you are the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread, carbs, right? <laughs> Satan knows. He knows what Jesus is craving. He knows what sounds good. And he also knows that Jesus is in a really weak place, a weak state of mind. But if you think about it, I thought about that this week, that, that eating bread, that's not really a sin. Doing a miracle, turning, turning some stones into bread, that's not really a sin either. It would be different if Satan came along and he was like, I tempt you to go rob a pastry shop at gunpoint. But that's not what he said. So is this even really a temptation? So look at this definition. It, it kind of helps us make sense of this. A temptation is anything that draws the mind and heart of man away from God and towards sin. Here's the kicker. Temptation also occurs when we're presented with opportunities 
to satisfy non-sinful human needs through sinful desires, through sinful means. So to be hungry, that's a non-sinful human need. To eat, to satisfy that hunger, that's also not a sin. But what's happening here is that Jesus only does what the Father tells him to do. And Jesus didn't tell him to do a miracle, and Jesus didn't tell him to eat any bread. So what he's worried about here is not satisfying his hunger. He's worried about being in disobedience. He doesn't want to disobey his father. He knows that if he actually needs bread, that he can call upon his father and the same God who provided manna in the wilderness would send heaven down to him. So what he's worried about is being in God's will and doing what his father has told him to do. But really, Turning a stone into bread isn't the major temptation here. Remember when this whole thing started, Satan said, if you are the son of God, if you are the son of God, the human part of Jesus, remember this whole temptation, this show us the fully human side of him, the human part of Jesus was capable of doubting that he was the son of God. And I think in this scenario, that this temptation, the temptation to doubt that that voice that he heard 40 days ago in the wilderness proclaiming he was the son of God, the temptation to doubt that was a lot more tempting to turn that bread or to turn that stone into bread. He was tempted to doubt as you and I are so often his sonship. He was tempted to doubt who he was in Christ, his identity, Just like we're tempted to doubt our sonship, our daughtership, we're tempted to doubt that we truly are loved, forgiven, accepted, chosen. We're tempted to doubt that God actually does have a plan and a purpose for our life, that he knows us, that we're known by God. We're tempted to doubt our identity. And what the enemy has done is somewhere along the line, he's gotten us to believe that doubting our identity in Christ is not as bad as some of these other temptations. So it's not, it's, it's, it's not like we're being tempted to open a private browsing window on Safari and look at sinful images. It's not as bad as that, right? So we're not gonna resist it. But here's the thing. If we begin to buy into these temptations and we begin to believe that we aren't loved, that we aren't called, that we aren't forgiven, that he doesn't have a purpose for us, we'll begin to live that way. We'll begin to live like we're not a son or daughter of God. We'll begin to live like we're not loved, accepted, and forgiven. And then what happens is that we give into these temptations that seem greater in our eyes. It starts with our identity. We have to understand that temptation's not limited to feeling tempted to sin. Now, sometimes I think when we think temptation, we just think sin. We're tempted to sin. But it's also about feeling tempted to doubt what God says about you. And when we give in to this temptation, here's what happens. We end up trying to satisfy non-sinful human needs through sinful means. Let me give you some scenarios. 18-year-old Brittany, she has this non-sinful human need to be loved and accepted. But Satan comes along and he tempts her to doubt that. He tempts her to doubt that she could really be loved and accepted. 
She believed it when she was little, but now eh, she's just not sure. She gives in to that temptation and then she takes this non-sinful human need for love and acceptance and she looks to a one night stand. Sinful means to fulfill that non-sinful human desire. Or take 46 year old John. He has this non-sinful need to be loved or to, to experience peace, to experience wholeness. But Satan comes along and tempts him to doubt that because of his past, some of the things that he's done, that he could never experience peace and wholeness. So he takes this non-sinful need and he turns to alcohol and uppers to fulfill that need through sinful means. Or 31-year-old Natalie, she has this non-sinful need to make a difference, to do something significant, to leave a legacy here, but Satan comes along and doubts her. He tempts her to doubt that she could ever leave a legacy here. She never even finished college. Look at her family. Nobody's ever done anything significant in your family and neither can you. She begins to buy into that and she takes that non-sinful need to do something significant and she turns to work. She turns to her employer and she becomes a workaholic. Hear me, Satan loves to tempt us to satisfy our God-given needs through sinful means and he does it by attacking our identity. It's exactly what he was doing to Jesus. If you are the son of God, He's, he's attacking his identity, his sonship. Turn this stone into bread. Take this non-sinful need of hunger and fulfill it through disobedience, through a sinful means. Look how Jesus responds, verse four. But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus is worried about, not about hunger, but just about being satisfied by his father. That's what he's focused on, being satisfied by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Next in verse five, it says, then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, again, he's causing Jesus to doubt his sonship. And remember, Jesus is capable. He's capable of doubting that he is the son of God. If you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands. So you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. Okay, temptation number two. This has to do with proving our identity and jumping without premise. Proving our identity and jumping without premise. Satan is acting like a kid on the playground here. He's like, uh, yeah, if you're the son of God, prove it. Like I double dog dare you to prove it. Jump off, I dare you. Can't you just hear like the box now? You know, like bop, 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 bop. <laughs> And then Satan takes it up to a triple dog dare. He throws in a scripture here. He says, if you really are the son, you are, if, if you really are the son or say you are, his angels will protect you. His angels will protect you. But what he's intentionally left out, he left this part out. Yeah, his angels will protect and defend and guard you, 
But here's the next part. In all of your ways of obedience and service. Jesus knew that Jumping off the temple was not an act of obedience. Yes, Jesus will send his angels to protect, to guard, and to defend if all of your ways are in obedience. Jesus knew the premise to the promise. This wasn't going to be an act of obedience. What areas are you being tempted in? We all deal with this. What areas are you being tempted to prove yourself in. Jesus, Satan is tempting him to prove himself. Are you being tempted to be a great mom, to prove yourself that you're a great mom, to prove that you're a great spouse, to prove that you're marriage material, to prove that you're a great volunteer, to prove that you're a great Christian, to prove that you're right, to prove that your ex was wrong, to prove that your employer was wrong, to prove your innocence. What are you trying to prove? The enemy comes along all the time, tempting us to prove ourselves. And when we see an opportunity and it looks like it might be a great opportunity to prove whatever we're trying to prove, our flesh rises up and says, jump. Just like Satan, jump to prove yourself. Jump, show, show, show them, you'll show them. Jump, carry too much, overcommit, Try to be all things to all people. Talk about your boss, slander this person, trying to prove your innocence, jump. Whatever opportunity comes along where you can prove yourself, jump. And hope that while you fall on your, on your way down, that before you fall, that, that Jesus will be there to catch you. While you're trying to prove, fill in the blank. What are you trying to prove? You've got to know the premise of the promise. Jesus wanted to prove himself. He wanted to, but it wasn't the time or the place. So the triple dog there, he wasn't moved by that. Jesus, the scripture says that God wants you to prove something to someone. Let's look at this in Romans 12 too. It says, so that you may prove for yourselves, not for your ex, not for your spouse, not for your boss, not for your parents, not for your kids. It says, so that, may, so that you may prove yourselves what the will of God is. Not so you prove yourself that you're strong enough, mom enough, smart enough, gifted enough, talented enough, so that you may prove for yourselves. What, do you, what does he want you to prove your, to yourself? That the will of God is good, acceptable, and perfect in his plan and purpose for you. That's what God wants you to prove to yourself. But that doesn't mean that you have to jump at every opportunity that looks like a chance that you get to prove yourself. You gotta know the premise of the promise. That verse is great, but do you know the bit about what, do you know the bit that comes before that? Do you know what, what it says right before it says what we just read about proving yourself? The same verse. Do you know what, what part goes before that? Romans 12, 2, it says, 
and to not be conformed to this world any longer with its superficial values and customs, but be transformed and progressively changed as you mature spiritually by the renewing of your mind, focus on godly values and ethical attitudes. If you want to prove yourself, here's how you do it. It's not about jumping at every opportunity and living like you've got something to prove to everyone. The way that you prove yourself to yourself, the, the way that you prove his will to yourself is that you grow spiritually so that you can discern if something is jumping, if something is worth jumping for or if something is worth walking away for. That you don't just jump into everything, but you can discern because you are spiritually mature that this is something that he's asking you to jump into. And you're doing it out of obedience and you're doing it in faith. And when you're jumping like that, it's when, it's when you're jumping and, and you know that it's him and you know that this is something that he's calling you to do, asking you to do, and you've got faith for it, then you will prove his will to you. And when you prove his will to you, then you stop trying to prove everything else to everyone else. And I'm telling you, that's a free way to live. It's freedom. Jesus has set you free so that you could be free indeed. Next, verse eight. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Temptation number three has to do with taking shortcuts. Taking shortcuts. As Satan showed Jesus all of the kingdoms and all of their glory, he was essentially giving him an option to take a shortcut around the cross. Satan did have dominion of these kingdoms and of their glory. And it's exactly what Jesus came to win back, to win the kingdoms, to win the glory back from Satan. So this is a really very real temptation for Jesus. He actually considered this for a moment. The fully human side of him considered possibly worshiping Satan so he could get these kingdoms and their glory. Remember, he had nerve endings like us. He understood how excruciating the crucifixion would be. The same Jesus who would later plead in the garden, Father, take this cup from me. Is there any other way? Was here and now in the wilderness being given another way if he would just worship Satan. This is what the devil wanted. It's all he wanted. It's all he's wanted since he fell from heaven is worship from God. Isn't that interesting? That Satan, although he was trying to tempt Jesus to doubt his identity, to doubt his sonship, Satan knew full well that Jesus was the son of God. That's why he wanted his worship. In the same way, he knows you are a son or a daughter of God, even though he tries to convince you and, 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 and tries to tempt you to doubt that you are. He knows you are. He knows you're a son of God. He knows you're a daughter of God. That's why he wants your worship. That's why he tries to get you off track that's why he tries to distract you so that you can't seek first the kingdom of God. He knows who you are. He knows who Jesus was. So this temptation, it was real. It couldn't have been real unless Satan actually possessed the kingdoms and the glory. 
It's all yours, Jesus. He said, you can skip the torture, you can skip the pain, you can take a shortcut, you can skip the cross if you'll just worship me. What shortcuts are you being tempted to take? Maybe it's in parenting. I deal with temptation to take shortcuts in parenting on a daily basis. You know, I wanna turn a blind eye to bad behavior, especially late at night. I don't wanna have a long conversation with my 11 year old at nine o'clock. I just wanna go take a shower. But you know, I've got to, I've got to discipline them. I've got to have these conversations with him. A classic one at our house is we can't find a spanking spoon. Like we can't find the wooden spoon and we need a pop a bottom, you know, but I don't want to go downstairs and look for the spoon. And so you take these shortcuts, but the word of God says, if we love our kids, if we love them, do you love them? If you love them, the word says you'll discipline them. It's not worth taking a shortcut. What about in your health? Maybe you wanna lose weight, so you're tempted to take a shortcut. You know, you don't wanna go to the gym. Costs money, takes time, get sweaty. Gotta get cute outfits for the gym. It's a lot of work. You gotta change change your diet. We don't wanna change our diet. We want chips and queso. But there's shortcuts, and there's ways that you can cut corners. You can take some extreme weight loss pill. You can go through an extreme surgery that you don't fully understand. You don't know the side effects. You don't know how your life's gonna turn out after the surgery, so you take a shortcut. Maybe you're tempted to take shortcuts in your finances. You wanna buy something now, but you don't have the money for it. You wanna buy a couch, put it on a card. The interest eats you alive, keeps you up at night. We're tempted to take shortcuts. We're tempted to bow down and worship at the throne of convenience. But if we always take the easy way out, we miss out on lessons. There's things that we're supposed to grow and mature so that we can get to the next level. I remember when Gus was four years old and uh, I introduced him to the greatest video game of all time, Donkey Kong Country on Super Nintendo. It's a classic. I still remember my dad coming home with Super Nintendo for the first time and bringing home that game. And me and my little brother and my dad, like we bonded over that video game. We played it every night till we beat it. I love it. And so when Gus was four, we, we bought an old Super Nintendo, found the game, and he was having a great time. He got through the first three levels pretty easily, but then he got stuck and he couldn't get past level three. He couldn't, he couldn't get to Candy's save point. So he kept having to play the same levels over and over and over again. And as a mom, I felt bad for him. I wanted to help him out. So like, here, give me the remote. I'll get you past this level. I'll get you past this level. I'll get you to Candy's save point. And I thought I was helping him out, but I was actually doing him a great disservice because what I realized is that if he didn't master one jumping alligator in level four, that he would never master two jumping crisscross alligators in level six. 
He needed to keep playing and pass that level in order to have the skills to pass the next level. I know in life, guys, that when things get hard and we're going through temptation and trials and testing, that we wanna hand over the remote control and say, Jesus, fix it, pass this level. Is there a shortcut? Let's look up some type of shortcut, a cheat code, whatever we can do to get past this level. But shortcuts lead to disappointment. Matthew, or sorry, Romans 5 says, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. If you go through things with endurance, you develop character. You're, you're, you're going through this, you're, you're gaining a confident hope that does not disappoint. Verse 10, Jesus says, get out of here, Satan. For the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil went away and the angels came and took care of Jesus. Jesus won the war in the wilderness. He was tempted but he never sinned. He got a very persistent Satan to leave him alone. And the angels came and ministered to him and helped with all of his human needs. Now I want you to notice in all of this, Jesus' very human response to temptation. Jesus fought this battle fully human and he gave us a fully human response. Jesus, when Satan came to him, didn't whip out a, a lightning bolt from his pocket and hurl it at the enemy. He did not uh, transport himself to another location. He didn't call down fire. He didn't cause an earthquake. No, Jesus responded in a very human way that we can identify with and we can imitate ourselves. Each time Jesus was tempted, he responded with, the scriptures say, the scriptures say, the scriptures say, the scriptures say, say it with me. The scriptures say, the scriptures say, the scriptures say. There was nothing superhuman about his response, nothing. It was just that he knew God's word and he knew that God's word coming out of his mouth was his weapon. It was his weapon of choice and it was an effective weapon. Listen to me, we have God's word and it is just as effective coming out of our human mouth as it was coming out of Jesus's human mouth. But here's the thing, a lot of people don't see the weapon or they don't see the word as a weapon anymore. They don't see the word as a weapon. When we're tempted, we're, we're not saying the scriptures say, the scriptures say, the scriptures say. Instead, we're all like statistics say, and doctor says, and WebMD says, and Oprah says, and Facebook says, and my friend says, and my mom says, and my mind says, and my circumstance says, and my emotion says, but who cares what anyone else says or anything else says? The only thing that matters is what the scripture says. If we're going to win the war, if we're going to resist the enemy when he comes and tries to attack our identity, 
If we wanna resist Satan when he comes and tempts us to prove ourselves through works, if we wanna tempt Satan when he wants to tempt us to take shortcuts, we have to fight him the same way that Jesus fought him. The scripture says, each passage that Jesus quoted in the wilderness, it came from Deuteronomy chapter six and eight. So theologians believe that Jesus was meditating on those chapters in the wilderness. He had fresh bread to fight Satan with. We should make sure that we've always got some fresh bread to fight Satan with. Maybe you're taking a shortcut. Perhaps maybe Sundays, this right now is, is your time in the word. And don't get me wrong, we're in the word. We're spending some good time in the word on Sundays, but we gotta daily be meditating on God's word. We can't take shortcuts. Anyone can say it is written, but it takes a true disciple of Jesus Christ to be able to finish that sentence with a scripture, with truth from God's word that we've been meditating on or at some point that we've meditated on. That's why I'm so, so intentional with my kids to, to put God's word in them because I know that the tempter tempts them, that they're not, you know, they're not, it just, they're not exempt from this, that he will come to them and tempt them and get them to doubt, tell them lies. And I want them to be able to reply, but the scripture says, dot, dot, dot. The scripture says, dot, dot, dot. The scripture says, you know, Pastor Josh, he talks a lot about how he struggled with pornography and that time in our marriage, we'd only been married for two years. It was a really, really tough time, season for both of us. And I remember when all that was going on, I went to my mom's house one night, was ready to walk away from the marriage. And I stayed in her guest room and like Jesus was hungry and he was kind of in a weak frame of, his, his mind, frame of thought, whatever, he was weak. I wasn't hungry, but I was weak. I was, I was very vulnerable in that, that season, in those couple of days at my parents' house. And I remember being in that guest room and the temptation was very real. I was tempted to walk away. I was tempted to just end the marriage. I had actually um, been in an emotional affair with a coworker a couple of months earlier. And I had ended that, but that night at my parents' house, I was tempted to pick up the phone and call that guy and say, hey, the marriage is over. Let's go for this. I was tempted to believe that God could heal my heart. I was tempted to believe that, that uh, our marriage was worth trying to save, like there was nothing there worth saving. I was tempted to end it. The temptation was very real in that little room in the dark at night when everyone was asleep. But I knew a scripture. Exodus 14 says, the Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. So the enemy was whispering, run away. The enemy was saying, hey, jump, prove it. Prove you don't need him. Prove that you can do better than this. This is gonna be too hard. It's gonna be too hard of a road to walk. Just start over, take a shortcut. 
Start over with someone else, it'll be way easier. But the scriptures say, the Lord will fight for me. If I'll stay here, if I'll fight for this marriage, the Lord will fight with me. And when I can't fight, when I'm tired and frustrated, the Lord will fight for me. I don't know when that scripture went into my heart, to my mind. I don't know if I heard it as a kid in kids' classes. I don't know if I heard it from a message. I don't know if I read it when I was reading my Bible. I don't know when it stuck, but I know it did. And when I needed it, the Holy Spirit brought it to my mind, to my memory, and I was able to resist Satan and fight him with that one promise. I will fight for you. The Lord will fight for me. The word saved our marriage. The word has saved me from heartache, from brokenness, from confusion. The Lord has always been there with his word. When I'm lost, when I don't know what to do, when I'm tempted to doubt who I am in Christ, when somebody comes along and says, you're too young, you're too inexperienced, you're a girl, you can't do anything. When I'm tempted, I go to the word. The word coming out of my mouth has always accomplished the purpose for which it was sent every single time. Listen, you'll not only win the war, but you can win every battle if you will respond with the scripture says. If you would, bow your head and close your eyes. we're thankful we're so thankful for your word we're thankful that you showed us how we respond when we're tempted when the devil comes at us how we resist we resist through your word we resist through the scripture we thank you for the scripture we thank you for the word we love your word I love your word God thank you Jesus Thank you, Holy Spirit, for leading Jesus into the wilderness so that we would know how to respond, how to react. Thank you for thinking of us. Thank you for being our personal God. Thank you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, I ask you to just speak to every person in this room. Show us where we're being tempted Show us where we're doubting our identity. Show us if we're trying to prove ourselves, if we're jumping into situations we shouldn't be jumping into. Show us where we're taking shortcuts, God. Show us where we're being tempted. And now, Holy Spirit, I pray that you bring a scripture to our remembrance. Could be a verse we memorized in church as a kid, something Pastor Josh has preached, maybe a lyric 
from a song that we sing that's based on a verse, I pray that right now you just bring a verse to our hearts that we can fight with, that we can resist Satan with. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your word. Help us to remember that it's effective. Help us not to forget. Help us to always go back to what you say, what the scriptures say. The scriptures say. The scriptures say. The scriptures say. The scriptures say that God loves you, that he's always thinking precious thoughts about you, that if you could count them, they would outnumber the sand. The scripture says he never leaves you, he never forsakes you. The scripture says that he loves you. The scriptures say that he perfects that which concerns you, that he will not forsake the work of his own hands. The scripture says he makes a barren woman to keep house and be a joyful mother of children. The scriptures say, thank you, Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you don't know a scripture. Maybe you're here today and you don't know the the Lord. You don't have a relationship with him, but you want to. You're ready to give your life over, your surrender. You're ready to surrender and say your way, not my way. I wanna do things your way. I want you to be my Lord. I want you to be my savior. In a second, we're gonna pray a prayer. And the word says that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, that we will be saved, that old things will pass away and we'll be a new creation in Christ to get a fresh start. You're you're no longer a slave to sin, to death, to the grave. Jesus wants to give you a fresh start. He wants to walk with you, take you by the hand, have a relationship with you. He wants to speak to you. He wants to lead you and guide you. All you have to do is confess with your mouth believe in your heart that he is God. So if you would, let's all say this together. If you're saying this and you mean it, know that these aren't just empty words, but something miraculous, mysterious and miraculous is about to happen. Thank you, Jesus. Say this with me, Jesus, I surrender. I confess that you are Lord. I believe with my heart that you raised from the dead, that you are alive. I believe in you. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I invite you to be my Lord and Savior. I want to follow after you all the days of my life. Here's my path. Here's my present. Here's my future. I give it all to you. I thank you, Jesus, that I'm a new creation in Christ. All things are passed away. 
I'm made new. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you're here today and you prayed that prayer for the first time, or maybe you rededicated your life, in just a second, we're going to go into a time of worship. In fact, go ahead and stand up on your feet. Altar ministry team, our prayer partners, if you would, go ahead and come forward at this time. And if you prayed that prayer for the first time, I don't want to invite you to uh, come down to the altar here in just a second and tell somebody that you prayed that prayer for the first time. They want to pray with you. They want to give you a book and just encourage you, congratulate you because you just made the greatest decision of your entire life. And uh, we're excited for you. Also, if you have a prayer need of any kind, maybe you're dealing with some temptation. Maybe you're a Christian and you're saved, but you have a temptation and you couldn't think of a scripture. I believe that God will use these guys to pray with you and give you a scripture to leave here with. So come and pray with them if you're dealing with that. Maybe you're dealing with just stress, sickness, anxiety. Maybe you've got a big decision coming up and you just want some guidance. You want somebody to agree with you in prayer. That's what these guys are here. They would be honored to pray with you this morning. If two or more are gathered in his name and we ask he'll do whatever he says, if we ask according to his will, if there's power in the partnership and prayer. So Holy Spirit, I pray today that you would draw every person in need of prayer to the altars this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message from New Song Church. If you have a prayer need or would like more information about New Song, you can email info at newsongpeople.com. If you would like to partner with New Song through giving, go to www.newsongpeople.com forward slash give. And if you want to stay connected to New Song, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for New Song People.